so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. And so I've seen the effects of sin and the brokenness that it can create. And my passion is if, if the Lord's put us in an opportunity to affect change and to make progress in an area, we want to give our energy to that. Hi, I'm Trillia Newbell, and I'm excited to announce our series, Better Together. The series captures our desire to partner together as men and women in the church and beyond to advance the kingdom with mutual support and care. Better Together will address a wide range of topics from sexual abuse, leadership, women in work, women's ministry, and so much more. Our goal is to inform and equip listeners on matters most important to women in the areas of church, home, and work. I am excited to have my friend, my coworker, colleague, and the executive vice president of the ERLC here with us today, Philip Bethencourt. Thanks for hey, joining it's us. It's so good to join you, Trillia. Thank you. Well, let's just jump right in. Okay, so last year, before our national conference, we hosted a women's summit. But before that summit took off, we had spent months, almost a year, (laughs) diving into this topic together just as a team within the ERLC, which you led. First of all, I just want to take this moment to publicly embarrass you by thanking you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanking you for the initiative and leadership. Um, I was a part of those meetings. I watched your heart and care and organizational skill and help to not just develop us as women and leaders, but to give us a vision for how we can lead. So thank you. Thank you for that support. What a joy. Yeah. So why? Why did you see it as something that um, needed to be not just an initiative with the ERLC, but done? Well, it comes from two directions, really. I mean, you could sense within the broader evangelical world and within the Southern Baptist Convention in particular, a hunger amongst women leaders uh, for connection, community, and collaboration. (laughs) Uh, So there was one dimension there where there was a felt need. But then the other part of it really comes down to our philosophy of how things change in the world here at the ERLC. And what we know is that in order to make a difference in different areas that we work in, it requires an intentional strategy. And what we found is that one of the key components of an effective strategy for change is through private convening of high-level leaders focus in a given area. So we do that all the time in other spaces. We have religious liberty leaders that we work with in that space to connect and collaborate uh, in there. We also do that very frequently with pro-life leaders around that. And so what we did is when we identified that there's a hunger 
And we said, okay, how can we come alongside that and help to take our philosophy of change and integrate it into this area? Because we know that the fruit that it can manifest is so significant. And so what we mm. decided was, what could it look like to bring together uh, leading women from around the country uh, for a short period of time for the purpose of community building, collaboration, and equipping so that they could be encouraged and empowered to go into their spheres and continue to affect the kinds of change that we talked about in our gathering. No, that's excellent. And one of the words you used, I wrote down, intentional. In order for us to really truly see change and affect change, that you, the vision, we have to be intentional. So how would you encourage someone who m- might be listening to be intentional in their space for, and specifically, For women, um, equipping, training, encouraging women in ministry or work. Yeah, I imagine there are a number of listeners on the podcast today who sometimes feel isolated. They see a need, they desire a change, they feel called to the Lord to make a difference, and they feel like they're working on their own. I'm sure you felt that way at times, uh, and many can relate to that. And one of the main things that can transform somebody. Uh, from isolation to effectiveness is intentionality. Mm. And, and it be, to be intentional in community building and connection for that sake of collaboration. And so what, what we recognize is that there was a lot of good activity going on all in separate spheres and silos. And if we could bring the horsepower together in the room and, and the collective wisdom in the inside and say, how can we learn from each other? Right. How can we spur each other on? How can we deploy each other? How can we partner together? Then when each of us goes back to our different areas, we're going to be better together than if we were just working individually in isolation. Nice way to use the series title. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> but it's true. In being intentional and collaborating, we are better together. So what is your hope for the future in regards to uh, women in ministry and work and leadership and this collaboration that we hope to see? Well, I'm not naive enough to think that this small effort is going to solve a problem that's plagued evangelical churches for decades. But what I do recognize is that we can't see lasting change unless we take intentional first small steps. You think about it, there's a lot of parallels between how you affect change in an area like this uh, to the parenting world. When you're raising a small child at home, you can't assume that when they're trying to where you're trying to teach them new things, that they're instantly going to get it and be effective in that area, whether that's uh, learning how to cook alongside you or if they're an athlete playing a different sport and learning how to do that effectively. But what you have to do is lay a good foundation, put them in the right position for success, and perhaps most importantly, inspire a lifelong passion, commitment to that given area so that you don't have to try to motivate them all the time or give them a hunger for that. Instead, you're trying to uh, spark a a fire of interest and then channel that into effectiveness. And I think the same is true here. We're trying to fan a flame that we already recognize is there in order to help uh, women around the country and uh, beyond them, men in leadership and men in the church as well to support them and to empower them in those efforts. And so... When you think about the hope for maybe even five years from now, what do you, is there any one particular thing that you hope to see in regards to, and it doesn't have to be just the ERLC, but just our general environment in regards to this? Because one of the things that you s- said is that you saw, you've seen a hunger 
and you saw a a need. So you were you it was a felt need and and we've answered or are attempting to answer that felt need. So what would it look like in five years for, for example, even in our organizations for equipping and training women or women in leadership or in our local churches? Do you have any kind of vision for what it could look like? Well, the temptation would be to say, here's the playbook, and this is the exact thing we're trying to replicate where five years from now, if we see this thing manifested in multiple different areas, then we know we've done it. I don't think that's what we're going for here, in part because... What works in one context may or may not work in another, or at least certainly not in the same way. But here's my hope. I hope five years from now that there are a greater breadth and more significant depth of relationships amongst women leaders so that they can lean on one another in order to sustain effectiveness in ministry and and overcome the isolation. Next, I hope that there are better lines of communication and collaboration and, most importantly, trust between women leaders and male leaders around uh, the SBC and evangelicalism. Because one of the things we found in our conversations is a lack of relationship often manifests itself in a lack of trust. And if we can find ways to overcome that. And then beyond that, I think we will start seeing fruit showing up whenever— some of the best practices and strategies and concepts that emerge from these efforts find uh, contextualized manifestations in a number of different outlets that are are then multiplying themselves. Mm-hmm. So the goal isn't to say, hey, let's identify the 20, 30, 40 gatekeepers who are going to set the agenda from the top down. Instead, it's going to inspire and empower a small group that can have multiplying effects yeah. that can be contextualized in different settings. And who knows what the Lord could do with that? Yeah. And, and I love that you focus on trust because I do think that has been something just because, frankly, people have been hurt and harmed and people have abused their leadership or their roles. And so trust has been broken. So it's going to take a while to probably build that trust, but it is my hope as well, is that as we are growing together, we will trust and and work together effectively. How can men and women partner together specifically on topics like sexual abuse and assault, which I know that you, it was a focus on the Women's Summit. It's been a focus of yours over the last year or so. What do you? How do you see us partnering together to address those very deep, deeply needed and hard issues? Yeah, I mean, the issue of sexual abuse has risen to the forefront in the Me Too moment that we're in, and I regret the circumstances that have caused it to come to the forefront. But I'm thankful for the effect of that, which is it is causing churches to confront their lack of engagement on this issue. Mm. And so my whole heart behind this is I have uh, family who are sexual abuse survivors, close friends. I've seen the way that it devastates victims and survivors. I've seen the implications of it for churches and Mm. ministry. Uh, and, And so I've seen the effects of sin and the brokenness that it can create. And I my passion is if if the Lord's put us in an opportunity to affect change and to make progress in an area, 
we want to give our energy to that. Mm -hmm. And so what we're trying to do through the sexual abuse presidential study group that I stood up in front of the SBC annual meeting and requested that we form, and then J.D. Greer later came behind and deployed and empowered the ERLC to take the lead on, what we're trying to do is help churches take the right next steps towards engaging. And this really comes in three primary categories. We want churches to share. We want a better awareness about the issue of sexual abuse, how it how it happens in the culture, how it happens even within the church, mm-hmm. the dynamics that it's not only about sexuality, it's about power differential and the abuse of authority and those dimensions. We, we want a better awareness through that sh- dimension of sharing. But then beyond that, we want uh, our churches uh, to prepare. So we want to give them the tools they need uh, for effective prevention and screening. And, and you know, most people assume that the the predator who's going to abuse somebody is the kind of lone wolf that's out there that's going to seek out your child remotely when far more often it's a family member, it's a close friend, mm-hmm. it's a relationship in a context even like a church mm-hmm. uh, who grooms someone over a period of time and then ultimately takes advantage of them. Uh, and so we want to equip churches to prepare themselves for that. So we want to share, we want to prepare, we also want to care. So we want to lay a foundation for in the uh, unfortunate circumstances when abuse happens, churches are seen as a safe place that can be trusted for care, for ministry, for effective response, so that we know how to bear with uh, survivors both in the moment and mm-hmm. also in the aftermath as they seek to recover and to navigate this uh, traumatic situation they've just experienced. So our hope is that through the study group efforts that we're leading, uh, we can partner with churches around the SBC to lay foundations to where our convention is better equipped to navigate by helping our churches in those three categories. No, that's really good. And I think essential for all three. You can't really, you can't care what you, about what you don't know. Right. And, and so those are elements that I think all need to happen together. How about how we can equip the church and beyond broader in leadership training and equipping? Uh, Jesus calls us to make disciples of all nations at the root of every mm-hmm. church is a hunger to disciple their people. And so th- it, it's not a question of if a church is going to equip its women, but how well are they going to That's do it? Good. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're either, you're, you're, you know you're called to do it. It's just what's the strategy? What's the plan? And uh, oftentimes what happens is um, church leaders, what I've noticed is they tend to be reactive in situations like this. There are so many demands in church leadership. There's so many things going on in a given uh, week or month that it's not always the case that they can create the space to develop intentional strategies in every area of discipleship ministry. Right. And so probably what happens in a number of churches is that the effectiveness of the strategy rises and falls on two things. One, are those church leaders able to pivot from just being reactive to actually being proactive? And two, are there trusted, effective women in that church to lead. And so for pastoral uh, leaders in a church, one of the best things you can do to help the women in your church grow in Christ is by cultivating uh, the right fertile soil for effective discipleship of women to happen. And that's going to occur whenever there's an intentional investment in helping a proactive strategy be uh, incubated and deployed, yeah. and then 
also through the investment in the women leaders that you've identified in the church, that yeah. they are seeing opportunities uh, to grow and to exercise their gifts and yeah. be empowered. And those those are the kinds of ways. It's not a one-size-fits-all where every church should do it in this particular context, Absolutely, but yeah. they can take those building blocks and apply them in their unique setting. Yeah, it's encouraging. And it's interesting because when I listen to you, I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm amening in my head and I'm thinking, this is great. But there, <laughs> there, there are going to be people who are thinking, but how? How do we do this? How do we take first steps? So whether it's sexual abuse or whether it's um, equipping and training women, it can all be overwhelming. What is the first step, one thing that someone can do in in any area, but in the area of just supporting and training your women? What's one thing that you... Yeah, when I was a kid, we moved 11 times growing up. My dad was in the oil business, and we bounced around everywhere as he climbed the corporate ladder. And each time, there was significant change for our family. But if I look back, there are some common things that happened no matter where we moved. One is we had to find a house. And two, we had to figure out where everything was. You're moving to a new space, and that was before Google Maps and Siri and other things where you could say, take me to the nearest grocery store. You had to plot things out. So you needed a home base, and you needed a frame of reference in order to navigate the change that you were in. You could... If you had those two things, you could start to take the right next steps from there. And I think the same is true when it comes to uh, taking those first next steps in some of these areas. You need a home base where you say, for us as a church, this is going to be a priority, and we understand why theologically this is important. That's good. And what it is that we should be thinking about doing before we get to the how are we going to do it. No, that's good. And then second is to learn the lay of the land in that space. Just like when I moved to Newtown, you had to figure out where the different uh, stores are and schools and churches. Uh, you need to know the lay of the land in your church, and that means it may entail uh, surveying your people or yeah. asking good questions of your leaders or doing some self-assessment to say, where are we doing well and where are we not doing so well? And what. Sure. What might we be able to do? And then once you have those, then I think it's always helpful to look around at who who are the ministries or churches that you admire or respect or find yourself thinking, these are kind of my people, and asking the question, what are they doing? What, where can I learn from them? And yeah. not feeling the pressure to invent this from scratch within your context yeah, and no, instead take best practices from outside your context and figure out how to customize them for you, your unique situation. No, that is really good. We need examples. We need examples that's in the Bible. You see that examples and and learning and, and looking for ways to, to grow. Why reinvent the will? That's right. <laughs> if it's out there for you. Okay, give us, this is our last question, some gospel hope for all of this. Gospel hope for our unity, for gospel hope for... Um, our partnership so that we could all be better together. Well, later on this year, uh, Russell Moore and I are coming out with the commentary on the book of Genesis. I don't know if you knew that. But I knew it was coming. coming I didn't know it was this year. And That's I'm, great. We're working through edits on it right now, and we're working through Genesis 2 and 3, the way that God creates man and woman, the way that sin breaks it. But right there, from the very beginning of the Bible, you have this Genesis 3.15 hope of the reconciliation between God and man that will come through the offspring of the woman crushing right. the head of the serpent. And what, the hope that I would give to you is to remember that God's not surprised by the way that the brokenness of sin has affected uh, male-female relations uh, and some of the 
patterns and disappointments that happen that women experience when they are seeking to live out their faith or find pathways to leadership. So the gospel hope is the same one that radiated out from the Garden of Eden at Mm -hmm. the very beginning, that God is making all things new, that there will be a restoration that has already occurred at the crucifixion, but we do not yet see all things under his feet. And we, we press on longing to have what we know will be true in the new creation kingdom true today. And the best way that we can do that is by uniting together, encouraging one another, equipping one another, and pressing on in the opportunities that the Lord has given us. Excellent. Well, that's so encouraging to me. And all I'm going to say is amen. 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 Thank you, Philip, for joining me on this podcast and this series. It was great to be with you. You have been listening to the ERLC podcast. I'm Trillia Newbell, and I look forward to chatting again.